0: I've been working in ministry uh, in one form or another for the last seventeen years. Uh, nine of those, the first nine, ha- were spent in the parachurch world, which is uh, ministries that come alongside of the institutional church, come alongside the church to uh, su- support it and fill in holes that uh, the local church can't necessarily do. One of those, I'd spent a lot of time working with the homeless and the poor in Pittsburgh and New York, and um, and I also helped put on conferences and publications through another ministry uh, to build up the, la- the laity and uh, clergy alike. Uh, and then for the last eight years, I have been serving inside the church. I've been uh, an ordained pastor. And I've served in three different cities now, so Pittsburgh, New York, and now Charleston. So uh, they're all exactly alike. And... Uh, LAUGHTER and I've served with people from all across the spectrum, really, of the church, um, from Roman Catholics to Baptists, from Lutherans to non-denominationals, and obviously Anglicans, um, rich and poor. And in that time, I've experienced myself and I've heard stories from everybody in different, uh, those different contexts. I've heard two things about the church. One, that is, it is a source of pain for many people. And two, that it is a source of blessing. No matter what the denominational uh, background or the particular expression of faith, those two things were always there, pain and blessing. Um, our neighbors in Pittsburgh, uh, before we moved here, were an older Roman Catholic couple. They were a very faithful couple. Uh, and as we got to know them... Better, They started to share some of their stories, and they shared a story of their pain from the church. Due to an illness in their family uh, and all of these piling up medical bills, they had to stop giving to their parish because they couldn't afford anything else. And their priest told them that they would not be allowed to take communion again until they started to give to their church. So they ended up leaving that church. And even though it was years later when they were telling us this story, they were still in tears telling it to us. At the other end of the den- denominational spectrum, uh, I have a good friend who has served in the church his whole life. And is a very faithful believer, someone I look up to in Jesus Christ. And uh, he told me about when he was ministering uh, amongst a more Pentecostal group, and they told him that he didn't have the Holy Spirit because he couldn't speak in tongues. And he felt dismissed. And he felt like a second-class Christian, you know, that he wasn't quite where God wanted him to be. And so that's another story of pain. So many people have stories of pain from the church. And at the same time, there are many, many stories of blessing. I had a friend uh, who was addicted to heroin years ago and he was in and out of jail and uh, lived most of his life on the street as a result of his addiction. And uh, he had been rejected by everyone and everybody because he had probably hurt them in a major way, stolen from them or something to get some money for drugs. And uh, he ended up finding a home though in the church. We would go and visit him at his camp under the bridge and we would take him meals and blankets And uh, he knew that regardless of where he was in his addiction and his brokenness, uh, that he had a family in the church. There were people that were going to open their doors to him. He knew that he could come to worship and be welcomed. He could receive a hug and prayer. He was no longer alone. And uh, no matter what happened, he came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ because of that. It was one of the awesome moments of ministry for me. And when his addiction finally did take his life, which it did, he went home to be with his Lord. And he died knowing that he had uh, a family, a church family here that would celebrate his life and look forward to seeing him again. And another story of blessing actually happened last week in this chapel. You guys were the source of blessing. Kate's dad preached Uh, the good news about the Holy Spirit to us last week and afterwards you all gathered around him and laid hands on him and Sandra and prayed for them. As he shared last week Peter found out this past month that he has an aggressive form of brain cancer and uh, to be able to share the word with you and then receive prayer and love from you afterwards as they face into this difficult year ahead was an incredible blessing to them and us. Um, They shared how much it lifted them up. Sandra said she'll never forget it the rest of her life. Blessing. So many stories of blessing. Too many to number in the church. And this is nothing new. You know, we see it throughout church history. We see it throughout the Bible. Pain and blessing. Just read any of the New Testament, okay? Uh, It is the beginning of church history. uh, And we see right from the start that there is arguing and division. Every single letter in the New Testament is written to address some kind of false teaching or some kind of sin that is infecting the church. All right, that's what the New Testament actually was written for. It wasn't because they had it all together. So you should be relieved about that. If you ever think everybody in the Bible is so perfect, they weren't. And then at the same time, we see this amazing... Uh, blessing and hope that this new community has in the New Testament, that they share in knowing Jesus Christ, that he's their Lord and Savior. So we see they have this experiences of pain and yet blessing. And actually, the, the history of the church goes way back before the New Testament. It's, it goes all the way back uh, to Genesis, the first book of the Bible. We read about Abram today in Genesis 12. And we actually see this is the beginning of the church. This is the foundations of what God was going to do. Uh, Everything that happens in Acts builds on Genesis. Just like everything else we've seen in this series of uh, the Nicene Creed, it all begins with God, right? He initiates. God is the one who calls Abram. Abram didn't go searching for him. God called him. And... This is the beginning of God setting a people apart for himself. That's what we see uh, him doing here with Abram. And that's one of the definitions of holy. We say in the creed, this is the section of the creed we're looking at today, the church, we believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. One of the definitions of holy is to be set apart. And so God, it begins... Uh, Making a holy people for himself by setting them apart. And we see that he tells Abram, who would be renamed Abraham, that he's going to make him, this is the promise he says to him, he's going to make him into a great nation, that he will bless Abram and he'll make his name great and make him a blessing and that all the peoples on earth will be blessed through Abram and his offspring. He repeats blessing multiple times. If you're kind of confused what God's trying to say. He's like, I'm going to make you a blessing. I want to bless people. We hear God's intention here. He's driving home this promise. And if you've read any of the Old Testament, you know that it was also a picture of pain and blessing. Israel was not always a source of blessing to everybody. A lot of people uh, were suffering pain because of Israel and their mistakes. And you might think that this promise here that God's giving to Abram is solely referring to the Israelites or to the Jews, right? But Paul explains it for us in Galatians 3. Paul gets very clear. He says, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So it's through faith, really. That's the beginning of God's family, This set-apart people. is He calls people to himself, and he gathers them all around faith. He gives them the gift of faith, and this creates his family. This creates this holy people. It's the beginning of the church. His chosen people. And Jesus affirms this in our gospel today. What we read, we see Jesus ask his disciples, you know, who do people say that I am? And they start listing all these famous people from the past. And Jesus says, no, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answers Peter, Saying, Blessed are you, is that word again? Blessed. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is that profession of faith Peter is making. This moment is when he uh, is counted as part of the family, right? With Abram. Jesus is telling him that God, just like he revealed it to Abram, himself to Abram, is now revealed to Peter. Who Jesus is. He has revealed himself to Peter and Jesus goes on to say that I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. Jesus is telling us that this church that he's making is actually built upon this confession. It's not built upon Peter himself. It's built upon what Peter said, just like the promise of a- to Abram was a matter of faith. The church is a matter of faith. Jesus is building his church upon the confession of faith, and he promises that the church will endure forever. It's a very good promise for us, by the way, because if any, you ever lose a building or anything like that, you don't have to worry because Jesus says we'll still keep going. All right. It's good news. God is telling you that you have a security in the church. Now, it's not to say that Jesus doesn't use Peter and the apostles. He certainly does. He uses his disciples. He uses Peter to start his church. But they're not the foundation. It's the faith that they proclaim. <clears throat> it's the faith that they pass on to others. And this is uh, really what actually makes them holy. When we say holy means you're set apart, that's part of the definition. That you're a people set apart. But holy also refers to your righteousness. The question of whether you're good or not. And you are only good through faith. That's what scripture tells us. That we are made righteous through our faith. And so this first term of holy, describing the church, we see it was all hanging on the idea of faith or holiness. And because it is all about this faith that the apostles have, this faith that they pass on, that is the the other word of apostolic. That's what makes the church apostolic, is that the church is based upon this faith that is handed handed down through the generations. So we are an apostolic church because God has given this gift to the apostles and they shared it with others and it has been now shared with us. We are a people of faith. We have become Abram's children. This is why Father's Day is good news for us. No matter what our fathers were like or are like, we have a good father in heaven. One that has said, I want you to be blessed. That's his promise to Abram. It's his promise down the generations to us that he wants us to know him and he wants us to be blessed and he wants us to be a blessing. And in that promise that we read in Abram, he says something very specific. He says, I, your offspring will be a blessing to all the families of the world. It's not going to be just limited to us, but it's going to be expansive and it's going to go out. And we seem to get a picture of blessing in Acts 2, in our passage in Acts 2, right? It's one of the famous ones that people like to point back to and be like, remember the good old days? And they all kind of point back to Acts 2, the early church. That's what we always say, like, oh, if we could just be more like the early church, they had it together. You know, look what they were doing. They're all sharing everything. Uh, They're devoted to each other, to the the apostles' teaching. So they're apostolic, right? Uh, And they're getting along with everybody and they're finding favor. So that's true. But there's an issue with the Acts 2 picture that we just read today. It's not actually the full picture of the church. When we say we're the holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, we've talked about holiness and apostolic. They were apostolic. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were holy. They were set apart. They were people of faith. But they weren't yet Catholic. And when I say that, you might think of the church in Rome, okay? But that's not what we mean when we say Catholic in the creed. They weren't yet Catholic, meaning they weren't yet a universal church, They weren't broad and wide-ranging. That's what Catholic means. The Roman Catholic Church is a particular expression of the church, but it is not the Catholic Church. In Acts 2, the picture we're getting is actually a picture of Jews. They're all just converted Jews still, which is great, but it wasn't the full picture. This is why they get along with everybody still. They actually still go to temple. They just look like, you know, just kind of like a little... Sect of Judaism because they're still going to temple they're still, they're still celebrating the same traditions everybody gets along with them because they don't look that different yet but God had a bigger plan the plan that he told Abram at the beginning that I'm going to use you to be a blessing to all the families of the earth and so he starts moving them out he starts mo- going about fulfilling that promise to Abram and he starts sending people to the outsiders. He sends Philip to the eunuch, to the Ethiopian eunuch. He sends Saul, who was their enemy, their sworn enemy. He sends him to the Gentiles, to all these people who they thought were beyond the pale. These people who were unclean. You know, the Gentiles were the worst. That's you and me. You know, the Jews thought we were terrible. And uh, God says, no, no, I want them. I want, to be, I want you to be a blessing to all the people of the world. And when God does this, things start to get messy very quickly. It moves from this picture, this idyllic picture in Acts 2, where everybody's happy getting along. You know, flowers in their hair and all that. <laughs> Going to San Francisco, you know the song. And uh, that whole idea, and it moves from that to all of a sudden... All these questions about what, what's God doing? Oh my gosh, he's using Saul? Like, what's this about? You know, now he's going out and reaching these Gentiles who we thought were the worst. How is this possible? What is he doing? And we start to see that pain enters the picture of the church. Pain and blessing. And it's something that's continued on to today. That God continues to bring people into his family that are different from us, that challenge us, Right? They come from different backgrounds. That they, they upset the status quo. <clears throat> why does God want why, why does he complicate such a good thing, you know? <clears throat> well, this is where we're reminded, as we've been hearing already, we're reminded that God is far more, more merciful than any of us would ever be. You know? I often think that I know better and be like, oh God, how come you're not doing X, Y, and Z? When meanwhile, if I was really left alone, I would only have people around me that I like, you know? I mean, if I'm being honest, that's why you guys are all here. (laughs) Anyhow, just want to reassure you, you know, God is far more merciful than us because we often like to hang out with sameness. We don't like to be challenged or confronted, you know? And yet God keeps on pushing. He keeps on expanding the boundaries of his family He keeps on going after the outsider. He keeps on going to the person that's on the fringe, because that's who he wants. And the blessing that he was talking about to Abram, uh, the blessing that he promised for the world, actually comes on the other side of pain. That's one of the things that God knows in his wisdom. That he knows we don't really actually understand the blessing unless we first experience pain. And it's the pain of having to walk through the messiness of relationship with others. That's when we experience it the most. If you're just sitting in a room by yourself with no one around you in a vacuum, you probably wouldn't experience that much pain. Maybe you would. Maybe you've got a lot of issues. I don't know. Um, But uh, it's really through our relationships, when we're dealing with people that are different from us, that we experience pain. But God planned this. He actually wants to redeem it. And this is what the primary ministry of the church is. And this is where Jesus goes after Peter makes that confession. Okay? So after Peter makes this amazing confession of who Jesus is, Jesus tells him and the disciples, which includes us, so this is for us to hear, he says that he's going to give us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I'm sure you've wondered what the heck that means. What is Jesus talking about here? What are these keys and how do we use them? Well, this is where I think the church succeeds or fails and has done historically. This is where the church either leaves people in their pain or ends up blessing them. The keys of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about here are the two ways that God talks to us, the two ways that God speaks to us in his word. Theologically, they're known as the law and the gospel. They're the two ways that God speaks to us. And the law is used to bind us up in our sin. Paul says this again in Galatians 3. He explains, he says, The scripture, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, he says, the law was our guardian, and think prison guard. The law is our prison guard until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith this is the first key that Jesus is talking about. When he talks about the keys, there are two keys. The first one is the law. The first key is used to expose sin for what it is, to show us what it is, to bind it up. The first key is the diagnosis, okay? That's what the law does. Think of it in medical terms. Say you go to the doctor because you have back pain, right? Which I'm increasingly having more of. And, um... (coughs) Your back hurts. So you go to your doctor and if your doctor, if he or she is worth their salt at all, they will not just treat the symptom, right? But they will rather work to diagnose the cause of the back pain. Why is it there? What's behind it? An accurate diagnosis is crucial if there's ever any hope of there being a cure, right? You know, taking an Advil for your sore back might treat the symptom. But what if the pain that you're having is the result of a tumor or something growing beneath the surface. What if there's something worse going on? That would take much more serious treatment than Advil right? to actually deal with it. So it is with our sin. Just trying to change the external behavior, which is what we often like to do, that's dealing with the symptom. Okay, Your sin, the the acting out of your brokenness is the symptom. So just trying to control your behavior, that's just treating the symptoms. That doesn't bring any cure to what's really going on inside. That's the cause, the brokenness in your heart. And the law gets behind that. The law gets behind the symptom. It cuts through and exposes the root cause. That's why Jesus, very clearly in Matthew 5, starts taking the law from the external. You know, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you, if you are just angry with somebody in your heart, you're guilty of murder. He takes it from the outside and applies it to your heart because he wants us to see the real cause. The law gets behind the symptom, and it shows us the fact that we are broken and we are unable to love the way we should. And Jesus and Paul use the same language when they talk about it. They say it's the language of being bound. Being held captive. These are the words that Paul used. And Jesus Himself says, You bind it. You bind this up. They use the word of imprisoned. Because that's exactly what being in sin is. It's being in a prison cell from which you cannot free yourself. So that's the first key. The first key opens our eyes to our shackles that we're actually bound, that we've got a big problem, that we're stuck in a cell. And this is where the second key comes in. The second key is the gospel. And Paul goes on in Galatians 3. He says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a prison guard, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. Remember the promise to Abram? The man of faith? The good news of Jesus Christ is the thing that comes, that he, we hear that he died for our sin and then he rose again to save us from death. That good news is the key that unlocks the chains. It unlocks the shackles. It unlocks your prison cell because you finally hear that you're forgiven by Jesus Christ. That's the good news for sinners. That's what a sinner needs. A sinner needs forgiveness. A sinner needs grace. We are forgiven by Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, as Peter said. We're released from our bondage of sin, and we're adopted into the family. He says we go from being prisoners to being sons and daughters. God becomes our Father on this Father's Day. We become his children. That's this apostolic faith that we're talking about. This is the thing that Jesus told the apostles and that we have received This is the promise of blessing to all of the world. This is why God continues to go out and expand his church. Because he's going for the outsider. He's going for the people on the fringe. He's going for the outcast, the reject, the sinner. Jesus says himself, he came to set the captive free. He came for sinners. And this is the main ministry of the church. This is it. To use those keys... To apply the word of God, that's all we're doing. We're applying the word that we've been given. We're applying it to people's lives so that they might be set free. We're clear about what's really wrong in life. Remember, the first key. We don't pull any punches when we're talking about the diagnosis because we know that that's not going to help anybody. You know, if I'm afraid of upsetting you and I'm just like, well, will just deal with your hurt back. I don't really want to put you out, Barnwell, because you're really dying, you know. I don't want to tell you that. I just want to make you feel better. I mean, that's the way we often go, because we're scared to offend. The reason why we stay there is because we actually don't think that the solution is that good. We think that it's somehow up to us to make people people feel better. But it's not. We've been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven, we get to tell them about Jesus. So we never pull the punch. We actually allow the law to expose sin for what it is. We can call a thing what it is. We're not afraid of it because we actually want it to be bound up. We want the sin to be bound. We want to silence its lies because that's what sin does to us. If you have any experience with it, uh, I do. (laughs) You know, sin always promises you life, okay? Just think about it. Like, oh, you know, Uh, if you were just with that person, then you'd be happy and everything would be great, you know, because you're, you know, you're kind of, you and Kate have been fighting lately or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Oh, if you were only with so-and-so, then you'd be free. And that's not true. What is that? Sin promises freedom, but all it ever gives you is imprisonment. All it ever gives you is brokenness and pain. It's a liar. Our sin lies to us all the time. Satan lies to us all the time. So the first key of the law actually exposes it for what it is and silences the lies. That's why we need that diagnosis. Quit living in this world of denial. That's, you know, that's what the law says to you. You're actually broken. <clears throat> and then once seen sin for what it is or sin seen for what it is, Excuse me. we have this key of the gospel, the, the greatest key that sets us free. It's good news that Jesus Christ actually has dealt with it. That's why we don't have to be afraid of telling it like it is. That's why we don't have to be afraid of facing our own sin. Because Jesus is greater. Jesus has actually done all that is required to set us free. And by the power of his Holy Spirit working through us, we actually get to be messengers of that to others. We get to loose people from their shackles and open the doors of their prison cells. That's what we have as a ministry in the church. That's what Jesus said. He promises it to us that whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. and Whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's telling us that this is real freedom. It's not just temporal, but it's actually eternal. That forgiveness of sins is eternal forever. When he takes your sin, he has taken it for good. Now, too often... As I close here, uh, the church has left us has left people bound. Remember, I said the church is a mix of pain and blessing always. Well, the church succeeds or fails when they misuse the keys. When we misuse them, we often leave people bound. Too often, the church misdiagnoses people. Right? We misdiagnose the problem. Like I said earlier, you know, with Barnwell, poor Barnwell. Um, <coughs> Where we just focus on treating the symptoms, right? That's what the church has done so many times. We're just going to be concerned with appearances. Just as long as you look good, I'll be fine. You know, too many pastors, too many of us have done that to each other. It's like, I'm only concerned about you keeping your crap together on the outside. Excuse me. But that's the way we think. But on the inside, people are still broken and suffering. So misdiagnosing the problem doesn't happen at all. I mean, it doesn't uh, help at all because it just leaves us with the disease that we still have. And then there are times when the church has done the diagnosing, has used the law, has used that first key where we've called people out for their sin. But then we've failed to give them the gospel. We've failed to use the second key. We failed to give them Jesus. And instead of leaving free, instead of walking out of their cell, they leave feeling condemned and rejected because they're not good enough, or because their sin is somehow particularly really bad, this is the stuff we do. Just go study church history. It's a sad thing sometimes. We fail to give them the second key. It's tragic. But as I said before, God wants us to walk through that messiness. Okay? This is why the church ultimately will always end up being a blessing on this earth. That's his promise to us. It's the promise he made to Abraham. It's the promise that still it rings true for us. That even in the midst of the pain, because the church is just full of people and we always mess things up, even in the midst of that, we have this great promise that he is going to make us a blessing. And the blessing is always Jesus Christ. He wants us to walk through the messiness of being the church together. He wants us to engage with one another Engage with people that are different from us. Because he knows that's actually going to expose the brokenness. It's going to force the issue. And God likes to force the issue. He wants the pain to happen. Because then we'll actually realize for ourselves our need for forgiveness. We'll actually understand that we are desperate for the gospel. We need the second key. And when we realize that then we will realize that's all we have to give to other people. If Jesus is our hope and freedom, then we'll know that that's the only hope and freedom others need too. We will give him to others. We won't forget to use the second key. We won't forget to set people free because we are so desperate for it every day. And the great news is that we get it every day. His mercy is new for us every morning. That's a promise. I want you to hear it today that this is what Jesus has done for you, in case you're wondering. Hear it again today that because of Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. You're set free. Whatever sin it is, whatever you feel exposed in, I'm telling you that Jesus Christ has dealt with it. He has taken it on the cross and He has put it away forever. You are free because of His sacrifice. You're no longer a prisoner, you are a son and a daughter. That's God's word to you. And your father, now your father in heaven, his call on you is the same call that he gave to Abram and gave to the disciples and the apostles. His call is to be a blessing. It's the promise to go and share this good news with others. To go and use these keys to unlock people, to set them free, to invite them into the kingdom. This is God's call for us. This is the call of the church. You are the church. That's what the video said. You're still here. We are the ones who are this blessing that God promised. It's because of this good news that he's given us, the keys that we use. So we go to the world to share the, the gospel of the Lord with those who need to hear it. We share this forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the fact that you died for us, that you have forgiven our sins, that you expose our sin for what it is so that we might be set free from it. And Lord, I pray that you would use us. I pray that we would not be afraid to share your word with others. I pray that you would use us to be uh, instruments of freedom for other people, Lord. Use us to share this good news and to see people set loose from their sin. We thank you for being our Father. We thank you for never leaving us. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.